Hi, welcome back to another episode of You the Mother podcast by Abby Williams, a space dedicated to supporting, empowering, and connecting all parents in all seasons of parenthood. You can find more supportive content over on Instagram at You the Mother, and be sure to check out youthemother.com where you can reach out to work with me one on one or sign up for my group coaching. The Estranged Mother group coaching is open for June for registration. If you are looking for community to feel less alone, more empowered, so seen, and move forward in your healing journey while you are navigating difficult family dynamics or estrangement, I always have people on lots of different ends of the spectrum. Um, Please see the link in the description of this podcast. We would love for you to join. It's always such a great group. And I hope to see some of you guys there. And in today's episode, I am welcoming on Ashley Kyle Miller. Growing up in Montana, Ashley was exposed to the market's impact on our lives through her family's business. As a finance professional, she has seen just how disproportionately the lack of market participation has negatively affected women. She has a passion for storytelling, problem solving, and helping her friends, family, and clients achieve their goals. She is excited to bring the stories of expert women traders and investors to a broad audience through the Madame Trader podcast and hopes more women will be inspired to take charge of their own financial future and create the lives they want to live. And we talk all about that in this episode. We talk about how to start investing and building wealth and why ultimately gaining financial freedom matters. We talk about generational trauma around money and how women can take control of their finances. And we talk all about all kinds of not great stuff with money and raising children, the rising cost of childcare. There's a lot, guys. Um, I am right there with you, and we talk all about it. You can find Ashley over on Instagram at Madame Trader NYC and on her website, madametrader.com. And be sure to check out her podcast wherever you're listening to this podcast, the Madame Trader Podcast. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. And if you do, please be sure to leave a five-star rating and review. Your support here on the podcast always means the world to me. And I so appreciate you being here. So let's get started in supporting you, the mother. Ashley, welcome to the Mother Podcast. I am so excited that you are here because I think money and finances is one that gets a little scary for a lot of us. Um, So I'm really excited to pick your brain and have this conversation. But first, tell my listeners a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me here today, Abby. I'm excited to have this conversation as well. So I come from both a finance background and a performing arts background. So very separate tracks, but actually they've worked well together for me and have come together in the Madam Trader podcast where I talk about all things wealth building and finance for women. It really came out of my work at a trading firm in New York where I looked around and said, gosh, we really need more women here. And why aren't there women here? Mm-hmm. So really diving into that and some of the social social messaging and historic reasons why women have felt kind of left out of the space and having conversations with folks like you who are doing wonderful things to help women and talking with other expert women traders and investors and businesswomen who've gone out there and created the lives they want to live 
through building their own wealth. Why do you feel like women have been left out of some of these conversations? And I definitely agree. I think that the money and wealth conversations have traditionally been a man's, and I'm like air quoting, a man's conversation. Um, And so like, why has that been the trend? And how can we make that shift so that we are part of the conversation? Absolutely. I think there are are several reasons. Um, Certainly, there's just social stigma, which we're working against. But I think, unfortunately, it starts very young where girls are not given the messaging that you're necessarily good with money or that it's for you. Even today, we still hear things like you're going to marry rich or, you know, just not really being invited into the conversation. And then historically, when you look at it just from, you know, a legal perspective, women have only had access to capital for about 50 years. You know, until the early 70s, you couldn't open a line of credit without a male co-signer. So if you haven't had access to even participate and then you're not being told that it's for you, it's hard to get started. We're really, you know, millennials are really the first generation that have totally had access. I mean, Gen X did too, but um, we're finally seeing more availability to it and then just breaking down the historic stigma around it. And there's just so much deeper personal messaging as well, you know, depending on the family situation you grew up in, you know, did your parents fight about money? Did it feel like there was never enough? And then some of those messages get internalized. We don't even look into them and and realize how it's affecting our own behavior. And then you go out in the world and you've got the pink tax and the pay gap and all of these things that stack up against us. So really, I think the first step is to have the conversation, take a look at what's happening, and then say, okay, I understand this. Now, what am I going to do about it? I'm really glad that you kind of like brought up kind of the progression of some of these things and that it's only been like the past 50 years, right? So our parents were part of that. Absolutely. And then you're being like raised by that generation of people, you know, so I think that like even our generation who has had access our whole lives, you know, we have received messaging maybe from our parents that was different than the messaging that we want to pass on to our children and kind of breaking that cycle. It's really cool to kind of witness. Um, But yeah, I guess like, can you kind of dive into the pink tax, why things are more expensive for women? Because I feel like I know what you're talking about when you say that word, Mm -hmm. but I don't think that a lot of people know that the, the pink tax is even a thing. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So some good examples of that are just common um, grooming products. Women's shampoo versus men's shampoo can be the exact same ingredients. And it's, you know, it's marketed differently. And it plays into the psychology of, oh, well, women are frivolous with their money and they'll they'll spend more on these things. And it's such a double-edged sword where, you know, if women are not well-groomed and taking care of themselves, then they are highly criticized. But if they spend money on manicures and expensive skincare and those things, and they're also criticized for how they're spending their money. And there's been a lot of attention on corporations that are pretty egregious with this. I remember an, an article recently where Target had a um, like a kid's bike and one was blue and one was pink and the pink one was, you know, like 50% more. It's the same bicycle. So why, why is that? And they said, oh, it was just an error in the system. But really, you know, if it's showing up that young, what are we saying, right? And there, there's a big conversation that can be done around this as far as marketing and 
you know, pricing campaigns. I've, I've worked in sales for years. So I, I understand when there's a demographic that sees value in something, right? So you could also argue women value these things more, so they're willing to pay more for them. But then there's this other element of like, well, you know, why, why are tampons taxed? right? This is a basic necessity. And so there's yeah. a shift happening there where we're realizing, okay, we can't charge that as like a luxury item. We've got to take a look at how we're treating women differently and how it layers on, right? We're already not making the same amount for the same job and now we're being charged more for the same product. So it really, yeah. there's a big unraveling that needs to happen. Yeah. And like, what if you do like, you know, kind of look into it, like do a deep dive on the internet, go like Google some of the pink tax stuff. It is really eye opening and bonkers. It literally is the exact same things that yep. we're being charged more for. I'm just like, that's not fair. <laughs> yeah, it's it's ridiculous. And it's interesting to even try and substitute sometimes So you say, well, you know, mm -hmm. are, are these things the same? I mean, a toothbrush is a toothbrush. So <laughs> Mm -hmm. Right, right. Yeah. Um, so let's kind of talk about going back to some of the generational trauma around money yeah. um, and the different conversations that might have been coming up in your home. For me, it was like, we do not talk about money. Yeah. We do not talk about it, money. And so I know a lot of families, you know, you mentioned that some families fight about money. Some families are like, no, no, no money is a no, no topic. Um, and can we kind of talk about like these different ways money might have shown up in our families of origin and how they impact us now? Yeah, absolutely. I, I love talking about this. I think it's so important for, for women and men and, you know, everyone. It just... Mm -hmm. plays out in our in our daily lives. So the example yeah. you brought up is classic. We don't talk about money. It's impolite. It's rude to talk about money. I remember one of my first experiences with that. I grew up in Montana and I remember asking my folks how many cattle somebody had. And I was told that's rude. You can't ask that because that's like asking how much money you have. And it was such a weird oh. thing as a kid where I thought, well, I'm just curious. I'm not trying to be rude about anything, well, you know, how many cows you right. How many cats do you have? And, um, you know, I think there in some ways could be some well-intended decorum in not being, um, nosy or judgy or whatever. But the reality is, is this really holds women back. And we see this all the time. One of yeah. the reasons the pay gap is persistent is because of this messaging, right. And not, um, aggressively negotiating, for a raise or a higher starting salary, you know, it's a, lot, a lot of times women get thrown under the bus that, oh, they're just not comfortable doing those things, but we're told not to do those things, right? Where mm -hmm. men are, men are very much yeah. told from a young age, you need to build wealth, you need to create something, you have to be a provider, and women aren't. So it's, you know, it plays in with both not having access for so long and then getting this story of, oh, well, you're supposed to just be polite and be grateful for what you have. And, you know, there's, there's something to that, but that doesn't mean you shortchange yourself either. You pick up any woman's right. magazine and most of the financial advice is about clipping coupons and how to budget for the household. And again, it's important to be smart with your money, but when you're only focused on cutting back, there's only so much you can cut back right? At the right, end of the day, right, right. you've got to be able to expand and grow more to really have control over your life and create the kind of life you want. So that's where I feel like there, there really needs to be a moment of pause where we can all think about our families and go, okay, now what messages did I learn and what can I take and, and what can 
can I leave? So, you know, for myself, I'm grateful. I grew up in a family that I think talked about money more than most because my dad is a commodities broker. So I was exposed to the markets, but there were definitely things that didn't get talked about as well. And just habits, you know, their own trauma from their parents, right? Their parents grew up in the Great Depression. And how does that affect them? And just being able to take it with a grain of salt and say, okay, I appreciate you. I've learned this from you. I'm going to let this part go. And really asking Mm -hmm. yourself, what's of value to you? And I think that really helps people unwind it because everybody has something they value. And it doesn't have to be the same as what somebody else does. But when you start really using your money in alignment with your values, it gets a lot less messy. So true. And I kind of, I love like what you were saying about, um, oh gosh, what did you just say? Like, I'm going to lose it. But when we kind of like go back to, so like budgeting and there's only so much that you can cut out is like what you were saying. And I, because I think there's two things to this. So I came from a family that was like, we do not talk about money. So when I became a parent, And I was, I started my motherhood journey as a young mom and I was a single mom for six years and I was in school, I was working full time and I was really struggling. Yeah. I was really struggling to make ends meet. Um, and I, then like once I was getting married, we're having more babies and I'm watching like, you know, our finances are being really stretched thin because now we have four kids. And I had a conversation with my parents at one point of like, how the heck were you guys doing this? You know, they sent us to private schools. My mom was a stay at home mom, Mm -hmm. you know, and like, I mean, we were definitely like middle class, but like, but we didn't go without anything, you know, and I'm like, how did you like do all this? And it was like, oh, no, no, no. Like, we're not telling you anything. Oh, interesting. So it's just like, hush, hush. So you know, but then, so that was like the thing, but then I also on my social media, when money, so I do like a thing every once in a while, it's like support a mom. Um, and I put up a little question box. I'm like, you know, what do you need support with? I'll connect you with different accounts that are doing, you know, different topics of motherhood or whatever. And budgeting usually comes up in there. And I feel like so women, when they're asking these questions, it is like, you know, how can I budget better? Mm -hmm. You know, we've got, you've got inflation going on right now. You've got a rise in childcare. You've got house markets that are like, exactly. (laughs) So scary. Right. Um, And so I do think like, these are the conversations of what the heck, how do we afford all of this? And women are like, kind of left with all the messy parts of the mental load of motherhood, how, where am I going to send my kid to school exactly. to childcare? How am I going to afford these groceries? Cause I'm doing all the cooking. Yeah. All the know, unpaid so labor like, on top mothers. of it. Right. So mothers are like holding all this responsibility and like, but when we're not part of the conversation and we don't right. know like how to manage the money, I feel like that's just another stressor that women are taking on. And what do we yeah, do? Yeah, of course. I think the first thing to do is to be kind to yourself yeah. and know that yeah. it's not your fault. Wherever you are, you can start from there and you can learn. There is so much 
unnecessary shame around money, whether you got it from your parents or society, you feel like, oh, it's too late now. I should have already figured this out. Like we're so hard on ourselves. And the reality is, is we teach virtually no financial literacy in this country, which I very much feel is partially by design. That can be like another longer conversation. But, um, you know, it is hard to talk about with our parents because honestly, the boomers lucked out in a lot of ways. Like they dropped in after, you know, the war. They were coming of age when like the economy was booming. They were able to afford a house and live on one income. I mean, you can have any kind of economic philosophy. It, the, the numbers don't lie. You look at what the medium income was in the 90s and the medium house you know, cost of buying a home versus now, they have not kept pace. Neither is education, neither has childcare. It's becoming increasingly difficult to be a single earner um, a household. So I also had a stay-at-home mom, um, total super mom who I just, you know, have so much gratitude and, and adore so much. And she was really lucky that my dad was totally devoted to her and his business came together. You know, if either of those things hadn't been true, she would have been really up a creek. And, you know, it's a tough conversation to have. It's kind of like, you know, having a prenup. Nobody wants to think about it. But at the end of the day, you you don't know what life's going to bring you. And you're doing yourself a huge disservice by not having your own money. Because if you don't control your money, you don't control your life. And unfortunately, I've seen this so many times. You know, I have a dear friend who couldn't get divorced for a number of years and really needed to because she didn't have her own money. And it's it's a really sad underbelly of this is that, you know, oftentimes domestic abuse and emotional abuse go hand in hand with financial abuse. So, you know, it's one of those things we don't want to think about. It's like having life insurance or making a will, you know, it feels awful, but if you don't prepare yourself, you know, it's not even that someone has to be, you know, a bad player. Someone can get sick, you know, just life happens and it's, it's so important to feel like you're in control and not, you know, beholden to really anybody else to be an, an actual partner. Even if you choose not to work, I think being involved in the conversations, you know, if you're fortunate enough to be in a relationship where one person can work and one person can be a caregiver, you still have to know where that money is being directed. It still has to be treated um, as there's, which I very much felt like that was the case with my folks, um, which was great to see that it wasn't like my dad was just making the decisions. They talked about it together. You know, my mom was very much included, but it is a different a different power dynamic, you know, and even just being able to say, this is, this is what I value and I'll, I'll spend my money on it and I don't need your permission. But, you know, like kind of going back to just like the rise of the cost of raising a family, what do you have like any tips for families on how they can better budget or manage their money? You know, how can we make ends meet? We've got groceries that we can't afford right child care we can't afford um you know and like you do need both parents working right yeah. but it's also really expensive to have both parents working exactly it's it's really a catch-22 when we don't have any form of universal parental leave still we don't have you know really any kind of sustainable means for um child care it's it's really staggering and it's it's shocking to me how politicize this has become when it's not just a social issue it's an it's an economic issue and if you don't have women working and participating in the economy it's just it's a huge hit every everybody is losing out by not really addressing this problem forever we've just said moms are superheroes you're great thanks for doing everything but we're not going to help you we're not going to support you so i would say definitely get involved and you know push push your company 
you know, push them to to have real parental leave, push, you know, from a local politics standpoint all the way up to try and get some of these measures passed. Because if we don't start taking care of families, the reality is people are just going to stop having kids. And I'm already seeing that in my own channel. You know, I... I'm not a mom. I love families. One of the reasons I've delayed having kids is really for this issue where it puts you in a situation where you've got to make some hard choices that are a lot harder than what our parents had to go through just from the economics of it. So to answer your question, how do you start? I think the first thing you have to do is really take a hard look at your monthly cash flow. So what's coming in and what's going out. And if you haven't done that before or in a while, it can be a little intimidating and a little overwhelming, but you really got to like, look at your credit card, look at your checking account and itemize everything and then categorize it. And then again, be nice to yourself, but you've got to separate out, okay, what is really essential? What are my fixed costs here, right? Like I've got rent and insurance and this and that. Where is my discretionary spending going? And then again, there's only so much you can cut out. So you will probably find things that you can cut down on or adjust a little bit and just being honest with yourself. One of the things that I find so helpful is rather than making budgeting so restrictive and about I can't have, focus on the things you want to have. When you've got a clear goal, it's so much easier to stick to your plan. I want to pay off my student loans. I want to have a down payment on a house. I want to take my kids on vacation, right? Figure out what's motivating you. And then it's a lot easier to shift some of those dollars out of the things where you can say, you know, like an easy one for us. I've, I have lived in New York for a long time and people go out to eat all the time because it's so easy. There's food everywhere and everyone has a tiny kitchen, but shifting some of those dollars and eating in a little bit more, you know, is, is an easy one in, in New York. And I think most of us can find something like that. Again, you can only cut out so much. So the second half of it is really being intentional with where you are putting your dollars to grow them. You brought up inflation. It's top of mind. We hear it all the time. Inflation eats away the value of the dollar, right? So it's not just that things cost more. It's that my dollar buys less. I have less buying power. And this is why it's so important to be invested. And I think a lot of times there's, again, this fear around markets and, you know, should I be putting money into this 401k? We've got this long off goal of retirement or whatever. It's kind of hard to see it, but we feel it. We feel it in our pocketbooks now. If you're not making your money work for you, you're just always going to be on this grind. So I think one of the easiest ways to start having a bit of a nest egg is to automate it. Right. So once you've gotten a handle on your monthly budget, you know, if you're someone who's working with high interest debt, you want to make sure that you're paying that down first so that you're not, you know, constantly in that cycle. And then you've got to start putting money towards um, an emergency fund so that, you know, if you are in a toxic job or relationship or living situation or what have you, you have a way to get out and you're not stuck there. And then you've got to start putting a little bit towards um, an investing account. And you know, that can be as little as 50 bucks a month, you know, something where you feel like you won't even, you won't even miss it. You won't even notice it. And you'll start to see it grow and feel like, wow, this, this is great. And then you can start adding a little bit more. There's lots of great tools online, you know, with compound interest calculators and looking to see as you adjust the levers. It's really fun. And for me, it's very motivating because I think, okay, what is meaningful in my life? What are the things I want to do? Money is a tool to make them happen. So the more aggressive I can be about saving and investing and working towards those goals, the sooner I can get there. You know, and like I said, it really, it comes down to a values equation. 
I spend part of the year in Montana as well, and I drive a really old car when I'm out here. You know, it's safe, but it's old. It's kind of, it's not like a total junker, but it's, you know, but you know what? It, it doesn't have a car payment. And so, you know, that $700 car payment or whatever that my neighbor's paying on their beautiful new Bronco that looks great, I'm investing it. So again, that's a values trade. Maybe that new car means more to them than, you know, having a future goal that I'm working towards. But when you can reframe it around growth instead of being so restrictive, I think it makes it easier to get going rather than feeling like, oh, well, this is, you know, I never want people to feel like they're on like a diet. You know, that's not what this is. This is about thriving and being able to thrive means you've got to have the ability to make choices and having money (laughs) enables you to make choices. Yeah, no, I think that that's a really good shift and like kind of to compare it to dieting. I think Mm -hmm. like when we get restrictive, that's a recipe for failure. Yeah. You know, and that's like when you look at like the diet culture and we I've done an episode about that as well, about how the percentage of diets that fail are because you are being restrictive. Right. Um, And I think like the same thing here, you know, if you just like cut out Starbucks every day and you're like, I, I'm never going to have I love Starbucks that you said that. again. Yeah. Never. And you're like, yes, you are. Well, and that's that's a classic you win. Know? You hear this all the time. Oh, well, right. if, if millennial women just quit going to Starbucks, they'd be millionaires. We'd all look up. No, we wouldn't. No, we wouldn't. You know, even if you're going every day, let's say you spend $3,000 a year on Starbucks. Look, if it's in your budget, if that brings you immense yeah. joy and it's something that gets – knock yourself out. I love a fancy so coffee too. I go on Sunday, yeah. right? I go on Sunday. Yeah. I read the weekend journal. It's like a lovely moment for me. And then I make coffee at home the rest of the week, right? There's a way yeah. – to have both um right yeah it's it's uh yeah definitely has to be looked at in its totality yeah so how can we start investing um like where do we start if we've never gone there before we have no idea it's just like I know the word investing and I don't know anything else right so Um, You know, a lot of times when people talk about investing, we're talking about paper assets, right? Stocks and bonds, having your money in the market. So if you have never had any exposure to it and it feels really overwhelming, I would would start by reading so you can feel a little more comfortable. Two resources I really love are um, Investopedia. I still use that all the time when something comes up that's a little complicated that I'm not familiar with. I'm like, okay, let me find the definition here and see what it is. Um, And then Elevest is a great resource um, that is a robo-investor that is run by Sally Crutchow, who has a long career on Wall Street and built this specifically for women, keeping in mind that women's careers have breaks in them. They live longer than men, right? So we're earning less and we have less to live off of. Not great, right? So I think they have a ton of resources. You know, we also have a lot of information on the Madam Trader podcast. Check out some of the mini episodes. We break down inflation and compound interest, and we're going to be talking about the SVB um, bank collapse that just happened just to make these things feel a little more approachable. But if you want to get started, I do recommend... um, getting online and checking out Elevest because it's a great platform that's designed for women and you can, you can start small and, and grow from there. And they've got a lot of resources to help. I think it's, it's anything that's unknown can feel a little scary. And as soon as you can understand your monthly cash flow, get in touch with whatever trauma you have around money, make peace with it, figure out your own values around money and commit to those. 
And then, you know, really em- embrace the necessity of growing your wealth, not just cutting back. It's such it's such a shift. I love comparing it to um, the fitness and wellness space. I've been in, in that world forever too. And, you know, they're very related. Wealth and health are like this. You know, everybody wants them. We're, they're very aspirational. It can feel really overwhelming and tough to get there because we do have a lot of unfortunately, restrictive conversations around them. And as a a fitness instructor, I've always encouraged people that you are capable wherever you start is enough. And, you know, all body shapes are beautiful. All life journeys are valid. And it's, it's just a different approach rather than saying it's your fault. And I think so often we've heard that things are our fault that not, not saying we don't have to take action and, and be responsible in our own lives. But there are so many factors that come in. And especially for moms, you're doing everything and nobody's helping us. So, you know, give yourself some space, be kind about it. And then just, you know, take take a hard look. Sometimes that's the hardest part. A lot of people will just avoid even starting the conversation. And that's really the hardest part. Once you get going, it's so rewarding because it's just like going to the gym and seeing those small little wins. You see these gains in your account and you can feel like you're in control instead of it's controlling you. And that's the reality of money. The more you understand it, the more you're able to control it. And then your life, the less you understand it, the more you're always going to be controlled by it. Oh, that's important. I'm like, so with that for a minute, that's important. It, it is. And, yeah. you know, some of these concepts can feel... um like really lofty, but I I promise you, you don't need like a math degree or a finance degree or anything, you know, just understanding inflation and compounding interest and how these two play together. And really, you know, there's only so much that we can earn, even the highest earners, even a CEO, right? Like there's a cap at a certain point. So you've got to have your money working for itself. Um, I highly recommend pulling up, um, just Google compound interest calculator. There's a ton of free ones and play around with it. You know, if I do $50 a month, if I do $100 a month, if I do $1,000 a month, you know, if I have this kind of return and you can see your money start to accumulate because the way the way compounding interest works, so the whole point of investing, whether it's in paper assets or it's in real estate or, you know, what have you, when you want these assets to be growing in value is you're, you're reinvesting your earnings, right? So as you leave money in an account, let's say you've got a brokerage account and you've got an average 8% return, that 8% is staying in there and that money is being reinvested and it just keeps growing that way. So one of the harder things to understand is that markets are cyclical. So we see, you know, downturns and it gets a little scary, but that's also why you have to be diversified and not have all your eggs in one basket. And when you're just sitting in cash on the sidelines, you're just losing value every year, even if you're the best saver ever. So you've got to participate and you've got to be smart about it. You know, speak to a professional, do some research. And by professional, I don't just mean like friends and family. They're great. They mean well, but, you know, really talk to somebody who knows what they're doing and figure out um, what feels comfortable with your risk tolerance and your goals and where you are in life, right? The more time you have in the market, the more you have an opportunity to to really earn. So getting started young is always a huge plus, but wherever you are, it's never too late. It's always better to just get going. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. Ashley, thank you so much for having this conversation with us. And I love that you were talking about that there are just so many resources 
designed for women and really getting them included in these conversations. Um, But tell me, listeners, where they can come find you and where they can learn from you. Absolutely. You can listen to the Madam Trader podcast where I talk about wealth building with uh, successful women and also these mini episodes breaking down some of these financial concepts. So Madam Trader is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can also go to our website, madamtrader.com to listen and learn. We've got a bunch of blog posts there as well and directing you to other resources to start investing and getting your money growing for you. Perfect. Thank you so much, Ashley. And thank you for helping me support you, the mother. (laughs) Thank you, Abby. It's been delightful.